Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one half of the show. My name is Jeff. The other half of the show right there. His name is Mark A. Johnston. Don't forget the A or you will uh, you run into some some problems. You got to have the A in there and, and, and can't tell anyone what it stands for because I don't even know. <laughs> How's the weather down there, man? Uh, it's a little warm today. The only day it's been warm. Yeah, up here and went from summer to fall in one day. Yeah, I saw the, uh, I was watching the Mariners game last night and it looked to me like a typical late season game with the roof closed and it was kind of misty. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's the way it was. I, I was know working. What that looks like. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's, those are our September games, generally speaking. Yeah, I went to the A's game, uh, their final home game here. I f- for somehow hit quite a few games on their final homestand, but it was, uh, Shorts and t-shirt weather. No, that must be nice. Yeah, I sat in the shade the whole game even. But uh, enough about, I've got something to talk about the A's here later. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll get okay. to that. But let's start up our old, uh, I think it's, it's our group's turn in the cage right now, Mark. Let's get into BP. All right. So uh, first of all, Mark, have you seen the Barbie uh, movie yet? I haven't seen it, no. No, I haven't yet. I'm going to. I know it's on, I know it's streaming now, so I'm going to probably watch it this weekend but you know ton of uh it just everybody was talking about barbie every company was in on barbie doing commercials with it well somebody from mlb finally jumped on the bandwagon like a month and a half after the movie came out but last week the red Sox hosted uh, kenway park night <laughs> which i'm not gonna lie that's pretty clever uh they had a pregame pink party and there were two limited edition red Sox barbie t-shirts available which i would be willing to bet are going for a pretty pretty penny already on the uh secondhand market yeah you're probably right because uh, i mean boston is famous first of all uh for for pink red Sox hats because i i heard something about boston where whether you're a baseball fan or not you need to know how the Red Sox are doing because it is just a common topic that everybody talks about. Pink Red Sox hats are very popular in in Fedway Park in Boston. So I am sure if you can add uh, some some more pink attire to that that's team branded, it's going to be a big hit. If you got it, you know, maybe throw it up there on eBay and make a quick penny if you don't want it. Yeah, maybe Jeff will buy it. Um, uh, well, it's a Boston thing. Maybe not. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mark, as I said, I went to uh, I went to a couple of A's games on this last homestand. And on Sunday, uh, the, the final game, I'm walking in from BART. There's a you, you get off uh, BART and there's a bridge that goes right to the Coliseum. It's so handy. It's my favorite thing about going to A. Well, it's not my favorite thing. One of my favorite things going to A's games, how easy it is to get in and out there. And as I'm walking in across the bridge, guy in front of me is wearing an Angels jersey, Mike Trout jersey. Not playing the Angels. That's right. fine. I don't doesn't bother me. You fly your flag for whoever uh, whoever you want. That's it. I know somebody said that was strange, but no, it's, I had no problem with it. It's a Mike Trout jersey. As I got closer, I saw there was a signature scribbled on on the number on the back. And as I got closer, I'm like, that's Mike Trout's signature. And so I was walking faster than he was. He was with some other people. And as I got to him, I said, is that? Really, his signature on the back goes, yep. And I just kept walking. Wow. Thinking, why are you wearing an autographed Mike Trout jersey to a game, let alone in the Coliseum, when it's not the cleanest place? I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many danger spots in the Coliseum. Why would you do that with a Mike Trout autographed jersey? I It's a a weird flex, but it's a big flex is what I think. It's crazy. Yeah, great. I mean, you know, again, I've seen people walk around with autographed jerseys before, but you know, sure, Mike Trout's got to be pretty valuable. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw it. So I saw somebody getting their uh, Lucas Ursig jersey signed, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, first of all, that you own a Lucas Ursig jersey is is something in its <laughs> own right. But then you get it signed. Sure, you wear that around. That's not. But Mike sure. Trout, that's something you do. You know, that's. I'm going to have that framed on my wall if that's me. Exactly. But uh, speaking of the A's, uh, the Tigers were here for the final home game of uh, the season 
here for the final series, excuse me. And so, you know, it's, it's his going away tour. Just like I remember the first one I remember was Magic Johnson in the NBA where people or teams are just throwing the kitchen sink at him every, you know, the last time he comes to play their team. And MLB teams have been doing that, giving him some very expensive, very cool gifts. So what does this uh, poverty ownership uh, team here in Oakland give Miguel Cabrera as a gift his final time here tell a, me a $90 bottle of wine <laughs> <laughs> now two things here first of all I thought when I read $90 bottle, I'm, I'm thinking uh people are just making a joke that it was a cheap bottle of wine nope right <laughs> nope it is $90 you can take the pictures zoom in on it you can read every part of that label if you do a search there you can find it for $89 well That's, somebody's forgotten they had to do a quick gift yeah well you know what else they forgot is that Miguel Cabrera has gone through alcohol rehab several times and has been sober for quite some time oh my gosh I'm I'm just so embarrassed by this ownership group. Some not sometimes (laughs) all the time. They are the most tone deaf, the most idiotic and just out of touch idiots that I've ever thought about in baseball. Just to say this, other teams have given him gifts of alcohol. Uh, The Astros gave him a bottle of wine, but that was from Dusty Baker's personal vineyard. Like that's Ooh. something personal, right? Another, uh, somebody else gave him a very expensive bottle of scotch, you know, along with other stuff. This was it. And I felt so bad for Mark Kotze that went out there to present it to him. He's like, here. <laughs> here, here. Did he have it in one of those cool bags you can no. purchase at Target? No, for it, was, it was just, no, because we could all see the label on this thing. So oh I'm just embarrassed. Goodness. And I want to apologize to Miguel Cabrera because I'm sure he listens. And uh, any Tigers fans, if you hear this, you know, <laughs> I apologize for my poverty ownership. Don't blame the fans, okay? No, I mean, I I think everybody has realized this year that this is not our fault, that the the, the attendance and why they're leaving. It is not the fans' fault. No. Uh, A couple of cool things here before we get into debuts. I saw this this list here. The Milwaukee Brewers are somehow, I I did not peg the Milwaukee Brewers to be a, a playoff team this year, but... I mean, who comes to me for prognostication? But uh, they've already won the American League Central. They clinched last week. And uh, there is a great uh, a great chart here that I found. Pitchers who secured the final out on the day the Brewers clinched po- postseason berth through the history of their their team. Uh, you've got names on here. So this is these are pitchers who threw the final out that won the game that clinched a playoff berth for the Brewers. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of them, but these are some of the names. you got Raleigh Finger, CeCe Sabathia, John Axford, Josh Hader. Uh, Josh Hader is on there a couple of times. And now this year, you can add to that noted reliever, Rowdy Telez, ah. who had not pitched in a game since his junior year of high school. That's, that is awesome. Now, if you're not familiar with Rowdy Teles, he is a first baseman. He's uh, he's a big first baseman. He's 6'4", 270 pounds. He's from Sacramento, too. Another California kid, a lot of them. But, I mean, this this guy's a, a big guy. He's got 13 home runs this year. Uh, he's only hitting 215. But, I mean, he's kind of a two-true-outcomes type of guy. Right. But, yeah, this was his first pitching appearance in the big leagues. He threw an inning, gave up one hit, struck out one, and ended up with a 0.0 ERA and, you know, won the clinching game. I think they won that game like 16 to 2 or something. It was a blowout from the beginning. There are some great quotes here from the game. Somebody asked him after the game, what did he tell catcher Victor Caratini? who was catching him, you know, as they went out there to the ninth inning. And Teles says, quote, sit on the corners and watch Maddox work. <laughs> <laughs> that is so classic. That is great. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. This, so he struck out Jesus Sanchez, right? And I think that might have been the, uh, the final out, but he, he struck somebody out. Unfortunately, the home plate umpire, uh, Roberto Ortiz, uh, lost track of the count. Because uh, he struck him out on a 4-2 pitch. 
Oops. <laughs> Where was the scoreboard operator with the correct score? Right. What's account? going on there? This is a quote from Christian Yelich after the game. He said, quote, that was a good laugh for everybody to see Big Randy out there on the mound tonight. Big Randy is going to have a punchy in the show for the rest of his life. I'm sure we're never going to hear the end of that. <laughs> so, uh, Big Big Randy, congratulations to him there. And he's, uh, yeah, he's a pitcher now. Also saw this chart. This was interesting. The chart that uh, is telling us the last pitcher on every team to get 15 strikeouts in a single game. So... Oh. Uh, the White Sox, Lance Lynn, he is the uh, only 15 strikeout guy this year. And then it lists here all of the teams, uh, wh- who was the last one to do it for each team. So like for uh, for your guys, the uh, the Mariners, it was James Paxton sure. in 2018. Yeah. You know, we go down the list here till we get to the bottom of this list. And I was very surprised. Third to last was the Oakland A's, which again surprised me because the A's have always had not always, but for the most part, had some really good starting pitchers. 1995, Todd Stottlemyre. Really? Oakland legend was the last one to do it. Wow. Randy Johnson was the last one to do it for the Diamondbacks in 2004. All the way back to Randy. Yeah. The Cardinals. You got to go back to Bob Gibson. Was no the way. last Cardinal pitcher in 1970 to strike out 15 guys in a single game. I would never have thought that. Yeah, but that... You got to go back even further to find the last time a Pirates pitcher struck out 15 in a single game. All the way back to 1967, Woody Fryman, who I have not (laughs) heard of, to be honest. That's uh, that's kind of surprising. That's very interesting. So, uh, Mark, this show is uh, scheduled to debut on September 27th. So we've still got some debuts. I'm going to be honest. It wasn't a big list uh, this time, but did get a couple of names here. First of all. Making his debut today in 1941 was Virgil Trucks. Virgil Trucks? Virgil Trucks for the Detroit Tigers is who he came up with. Nicknamed Fire, which is great. Fire Trucks. Uh, ah. He also had a good fastball. So that is just a 80-grade nickname right there, Fire Trucks. A member of the 1945 World Series team from Detroit and uh, was also a two-time All-Star. Spent 17 years in the big leagues, 12 with the Tigers, three with the White Sox, two with the Royals, and then split time between the uh, Yankees and the St. Louis Browns in 1953. 1952, though, Trucks became the third player in baseball history to throw two no-hitters in the same season. Following Johnny Vandermeer and Allie Reynolds, Later, some guy called Nolan Ryan also did this. Uh, and for the third show in a row, we're going to mention, so did Roy Halladay. Gotcha. He's, Roy Halladay is bordering on, on Gabby status here. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That uh, first no-hitter, though, had some strange things happened during it. Trucks became the first pitcher to hit two batters during a no-hitter. And uh, also, later in that game, second baseman Jerry Pretty. I think it's Purdy. I think that's a typo. Committed two errors, becoming the player with the most errors charged to him during a no-hitter. Huh. Two errors behind him, and he hit two batters, but he still got a no-hitter. So he must have had some good stuff. Yeah, or either that or he was playing a team that left a lot of people on base, Mariners. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't think you can put that one on the Mariners in 1952. No, no, no. They still were a couple years away from expansion. Yeah. Uh, His nephew is drummer Butch Trucks, who is one of the founding members of the Allman Brothers Band. Wow. And his great nephew is Derek Trucks, who is often, he's a member of the Allman Brothers Band now as well. He's often seen on tour wearing a Detroit Tigers hat. And as I said, that's who... Virgil spent most of his career with. Derek is described as, quote, the superb slide guitarist for the Allman Brothers Band, end quote. Which, listeners, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, know my feeling about barbershop quartets. (laughs) Well, (laughs) this also extends to both the steel and the slide guitar. Okay. I don't know why it makes me angry. It's a thing. I can't help it. Let's see. Also making his debut today in 1967, Ken Brett. Oh, sure. Maybe you've heard of his brother as well, George. But yeah. Kemmer is is a great player in his own right. Uh, he he was a good, he was a really good pitcher. 14 years in the big leagues. 
he was a good hitter too. A lot of people in the articles I read described him if if he would have been a position player, he would have been you know one of the league's top hitters. I don't doubt it. For uh, pitching wise, fourteen years in the big leagues, he is a very well traveled individual. Somebody you want to remember for immaculate uh, grid. Fourteen years in the big leagues. Four, he spent four years with Boston. That was the most he ever spent in one place. He spent two years in Kansas City, Pittsburgh, California, the White Sox, and then one year at the uh, Twins, Phillies, Dodgers, Yankees, and Brewers. Man, that's an immaculate grid winner right Boy, there. Boy, if you look at his baseball reference page, the number of numbers that he wore as well, if you total all those up, it's it's you know, probably about 500. I mean, there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of numbers going on there. Good story I hear, read about him here. When he was driving uh, to his first season in professional ball in the minors, he uh, drove to Oneonta, New York, and he channeled his inner future Pascual Perez, and he got lost. And, in fact, the team got worried when they didn't hear about him, and they called the police who eventually found him and got him to Oneonta. I, can, I mean, that was long before... Uh, even MapQuest. I, I think his, his phone at that point in uh, like 1965 was just one of those Nokia flip phones. So right. no, no map on there. You know, uh, I got lost once uh, with Kurt Young in my car. That was embarrassing. <laughs> but did he know you were lost? Yes. He, in fact, he goes, are you lost? And then he was laughing at me. <laughs> I had to pick him up at the airport and I, I, it was a long time ago. I wasn't so good with that area. And he's like, are you lost? And, and just made fun of me the rest of the time he was there, which was great. <laughs> That's a good story. Uh, let's see. Ken Brent, you know what? He gave up Henry Aaron's 700th home run. Wow. He has no shame in that. He said, Hey, I won the ball game. I got the win. So, uh, he was good with that. He was a pitcher, like I said, but a great hitter, just like his brother, Bill James, actually said that Ken Brett was uh, the best hitting pitcher of the 1970s. Brett even pinch hit for position players a couple of times in his career. One time he hit for Dirty Kurt Pavacqua, uh, and much to Pavacqua's disbelief and embarrassment. (laughs) He would be pulled back and a pitcher would be sent up there. I can understand that. Uh, Let's see. He appeared alongside his brother in an episode of Fantasy Island, which we've talked about. Also appeared as himself in the movie The Scout. He got a gig selling computers with Dom DeLuise, uh, some commercials there, and uh, also made uh, fun of his much-traveled career with this classic Miller Lite commercial. In my baseball career, I was treated nine times, but wherever I went, one thing was always the same. Everyone drank light beer from Miller. In Boston, they said the best thing about light was it's got a third less calories than the regular beer. In L.A., they said the best thing was lights less filling. But I think the best thing is it tastes great right here in New York City. Ken, this isn't New York. Chicago. No. Milwaukee. <laughs> Kansas City. Light beer from Miller. Oh, Everything you always wanted in a beer can. and less. Utica. <laughs> That's outstanding. Those commercials were so classic. Oh, they were, that was a great time. Yeah, they're kind of like the Aqua Velva commercials, too. If you get one of those as an athlete, you know you've made it. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Uh, George and Ken, well, I should say Ken, also co-owned with his brother, George, a couple of minor league teams in Pocangelis, Washington. It's Spokane, but it's a, it's a Washington joke. You get it if you've lived in Washington. They owned uh, both the, I mean, I remember when, when I was in school, we would drive up to Spokane Indians games. And the thing in my mind was that, you know, the Bretts owned part of that team. They also owned the uh, Spokane Chiefs, uh, WHL hockey team there that we would likewise drive uh, two hours up to Spokane to go watch some hockey in, in a literal barn, which was uh, <laughs> pretty cool. They had to move the cows out for the games. But uh, yeah, it was, think- other than that, a great venue. Yeah, it's a great, it was really was. I mean, just a real small. I don't know where. The, I, well, I know Spokane's got a new arena. I'm assuming they play there oh, now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was that was big time uh, when you were in school to get to drive up to Spokane. All right, uh, that's going to do it uh, for debuts. Now, Mark, we got a whole bunch of kangaroo court finds coming your way from last week. Oh, great! 
Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, the uh, Jim Benning episode here. This is from John Payne. He says, uh, Mark talked about the Phillies blowing a big lead in 64, but it was the uh, Cardinals, not the Mets, who uh, beat them that year for the pennant. So uh, he says uh, a fine of uh, $1,964 seems fair. I agree with him. Yeah, I agree with him. That's fair. Uh, Also, this from uh, longtime listener Brian Krause. Uh, Last week, uh, Jesse Burkett. It, it was John Burkett who pitched for the uh, the Giants in the 90s, oh. not Jesse. So that one, uh, we both said that. But again, uh, I rely on you to catch these things. Uh, also, J.T. Snow was drafted and debuted for the Yankees, not the Angels. I mean, Mark, you need to pay attention to what I'm talking about. Um, I, I apologize. You're, you're right. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Brian says that uh, JT wore number 60 for the Yankees. So he's going to fine you $60. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's darn near $2,000 just from the last show that you uh, you got to put in the kitty. That's no problem, man. I mean, you know, I get money pouring out. Oh, over yeah. Here. I know what that uh, scoreboard Truck money is like. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's going to do it for our BP segment, Mark. Let's let the grounds crew come out and do the thing. Again, this is, we're getting close to postseason, so there's some new uh, logos and stuff on the grass they've got to mow in, so it'll take a little bit of time. But let's go ahead and get into the main segment of the show. I'm going to be doing that this week. And, you know, Mark, we've been described uh I think quite uh, quite accurately before by some reviewers as a uh, Red Sox history podcast. <laughs> we, I've seen that in some reviews. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna switch it up today, and we're gonna talk about some New York Yankee stuff. Uh, okay, because if there are two teams that we love, it's the it's the Red Sox and the Yankees. But I wanted to talk about uh, captaincies and and the New York Yankees. This was uh, started out as a lot of my stories I find do. I just started out as a short blurb as something I was going to either use in BP or during a Tales from the Dugout. And I ended up going down a rabbit hole and finding out too many interesting facts that I had to tell people about. But first of all, Mark, did you know that there have only been 15 official team captains of the, uh, of the New York Yankees? No, I did not know that. Well, I mean, you can be honest. I mean, I of course you know, being such a big Yankee fan, that there's only been 15, but you can... Right, there's only been 15. I didn't want to show you up. Yeah, thank you very much. So, uh, Clark Griffith was the first, the famous Clark Griffith, who... Yes, from vacation. (laughs) I mean, listeners won't know that that's our second uh, vacation reference already today, (laughs) but just trust me, the the first one got edited out. But uh, Clark Griffith, who, you know, you think of with the the Nationals or the, the... senators or then the twins but uh yeah he was uh the named the first captain in 1891 for the new york islanders all the way through the current captain uh, aaron judge who was just named last year as their newest captain when you're a yankee captain though you aren't just handed a title it's truly an honor uh, no matter what you think of the yankees you've got to realize that yeah being named captain of the yankees is something that is Kind of important, as, as important as baseball can be, I guess. But uh, that is, unless your name is Babe Ruth. The sixth captain in Yankees history, Babe Ruth, took over from Roger Peckinpah, who's my favorite director of all time, uh, actually. Oh, yes. <laughs> Ruth took over for Roger Peckinpah in 1922. It was a natural coming off his uh, record-setting year of 59 home runs, 168 RBI, a freaking 512 on base percentage. That just is incredible. Wow. Actually, Babe uh, ended up being the shortest reign of any captain, possibly in any sport. His uh, reign as captain lasted an entire five days. He wasn't captaining well, apparently. No. Uh, so on May 5th, the Sultan of Swat, the King of Crash, the Colossus of Clout, Babe Ruth had an altercation with an umpire during a game at the Polo Grounds where Ruth was uh, thrown out at second base by an outfielder. Ruth thought he was safe, disagreed with the call, and threw dirt in the umpire uh, in the face of umpire George Hildebrand. (laughs) Whoops. Who shockingly enough then ejected Babe Ruth. On the way out, uh, you know, being led off the field, a fan yelled at Ruth and called him, quote, a lowdown bum. Uh, and other names that got Babe Ruth mad. I mean, someone calls me a low-down bum. I'm, you know, I'm not going to turn my back. Yeah, uh, forget the low-down part. 
Yeah, I, I can't did. stand for that. Yeah. So uh, he uh, did uh, kind of, you know, what Ty Cobb did, but uh, a little bit different. He jumped in the stands and attacked the fan. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that was it for uh, Babe Ruth's captaincy as a New York Yankee. So I can yeah, see. That's not surprising uh, that that was the result of making Babe Ruth the captain, though, don't you think? Yeah, but I've, I've got some more information here. So first of all, the opposite of Babe as a captain was Derek Jeter. I mean, sure. we, Jeter's not our favorite player, but, you know, you got to respect him. He held the title as a player longer than any other Yankee for 11 seasons just some of the things that he did during baseball season that kind of shows you the difference between Derek Jeter and uh, and Babe Ruth. Jeter went to bed two hours after every night game, supposedly. I find that a little hard to believe to, you know, get out of the stadium and to your apartment in bed in two hours. I don't know about that, but it'd be tough for me to yeah. wind down. Yeah. Didn't matter what town he was in or who he was with, uh, who asked him to hang out. He would head supposedly directly from the stadium to the hotel or to his apartment, which I, I can respect that. If that is truly the case, I'm I'm all for it. I, I respect the commitment. This is in contradiction, to though, to a famous New York tabloid headline where they called him a party animal and had a picture of him leaving a club late one night with some friends. Must have been a big day game. Uh, let's see. Four Yankee captains have been shortstops. Of course, there's Jeter. There's the aforementioned uh, Peckinpah. There was Kid Elderfeld, Elberfeld, uh, and the captain who replaced the short-lived captaincy of Babe Ruth Everett Scott. An incredible coincidence, Scott was known as baseball's first Iron Man. He played in 1,307 consecutive games, which set the major league record for consecutive games played at that point and would be eventually broken by the man who would become the next Yankee captain after him, Lou Gehrig. Gotcha. Even more uh, coincidentally, in fact, the last game that Everett Scott played as a starter was May 20th, 1925 for the Yankees. Two days later, on June 1st, Lou Gehrig began his streak of 2,130 consecutive games played. Wow. I mean, that wasn't the end of Scott's streak, that last game he played, but still the fact that his last game starting almost overlapped with Lou Gehrig's streak starting is pretty coincidental. Yeah. Upon Gehrig's retirement, no Yankee held the title as captain until 1976, when George Steinbrenner reinstated the position. Thurman Munson was named leader of the team. Listeners of this podcast, I'm sure, are aware of the tragic way that Gehrig uh, and Munson both passed separately, uh, losing their lives uh, too soon, uh, still young. So when Munson passed away in a plane crash, uh, you know, that's the last two Yankee captains passing away before their time. I'm thinking uh, I'm declining that position if it's offered to me. <laughs> yes. Uh, as many Gear world made it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as many World Series as the Yankees have won. Uh, what is it, 26 or 27 at this point? I, I don't have that many fingers. There have only been three captains that were named captains when they won. Gehrig won three times, Munson twice, and Jeter once. So that accounts <clears throat> for six of those. All of the others were won when there were no captain. They were captainless. So there is a little bit of a discrepancy over whether there was actually a 16th captain or not. Raleigh Zider in several articles from 1913 say that he was about to be named captain. And this is before he even played a single game for the Bombers. He was acquired midseason from the White Sox for popular first baseman Hal Chase, who Yankee fans called Prince Hal. So kind of gives you an idea that he was probably pretty popular with the fans. It was reported that uh, Zyder was going to be named captain alongside player manager Frank Chance. The trade did not go over well with fans and went from bad to worse when Zyder missed a good chunk of the rest of the season with a bunion. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, I guess That's they a have, heck of a bunion. They have much better bunion uh, fighting technology these days because you don't hear about bunions keeping guys out very often. No, no. There is no mention, however, that he was actually named captain and his name doesn't appear on any list, but there are several articles of which I saw and read 
saying this guy was going to be named uh, as soon as he showed up and put on a uniform was going to be named captain. But it sounds like it didn't happen. But uh, so Babe was ejected after assaulting an umpire and then going Ty Cobb on a fan in the stands, relieved of his duty. So you might be saying, well, you know, it was earned that he was uh, he was uh, his captaincy was taken away. Except let me tell you about previous New York captain Kid Elbert. AKA the Tabasco kid who was okay. the second captain in New York history and possibly the first Yankee captain to have a marketing deal. And, uh, from what I read was the arch rival of the, uh, shortstop from Boston at that time, Frankie Sir Sriracha Johnson. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. It's a big rivalry by the way, that, uh, I could not confirm in any way that any of that is true other than that he was nicknamed the Tabasco kid. He earned the nickname because of his spicy personality. If I see you read between the lines there. So kid Albert Feld, who I think I just said Albert before it's Albert Feld was called quote, the dirtiest, scrappiest, most pestiferous, most rantankerous, most rambunctious ball player that ever stood on spikes, end quote. I'm pretty sure some of those were not actual words, but I still understood exactly what they meant. No, I've heard Don King use those words. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> Albert Fell was a highly touted shortstop who the Phillies thought so much of as a rookie, they opted to sign him over Ty Cobb. Wow. Yeah. So the Tabasco kid was quite the character. Uh, he was the first American League player to steal home twice in the same game. And later, while playing in the minors, he befriended and mentored a young outfielder named Casey Stengel. Wow. On September 15th, 1912, Stengel was called up to the Brooklyn Dodgers. Elber fell through a farewell party for Stengel, bought him a new suit and said, quote, you got to dress like a big leaguer before they believe you're one. End quote. Nice. Also bought him a new suitcase to put said suit in while on the train. Uh, after a long night of drinking, Elber fell, walked with Stengel to the train station and these were his parting words to Stengel, quote, keep your ears open and your mouth shut up there, end quote. Very good. Casey uh, famously followed only one of those directions. <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about Albert Feld's temper because, uh, you know, he was a captain. Babe was a captain. Uh, Babe didn't have quite this kind of temper, but while in the minors, Albert Feld shoved a lump of mud into a umpire's open mouth during an argument. <laughs> so Babe threw dirt in the face of an umpire. Albert Feld here took a lump of mud and shoved it in the guy's mouth. Uh, <laughs> later in his career, the Tabasco kid assaulted an umpire and had to be forcibly removed from the field by police. This is in the majors now. Uh, the incident was described by the New York Times as, quote, one of the most disgraceful scenes ever witnessed on a baseball field, end quote. Elberfell also at one point got himself charged with disorderly conduct and fined for throwing a bottle. Some witnesses say it was a knife, but uh, I'm going to go with bottle at a hotel waiter. <laughs> But Babe had a bad day and they stripped him of his entire captaincy. Wow. As a shortstop during the turn of the century, Albert Feld's legs were badly scarred from years of guys coming in spikes first. And it was reported that he would pour whiskey into his spikes after a game to cauterize them. Wow. Bleeding edge technology uh, <laughs> at that point for uh, pain uh, and <laughs> so, you know injuries to the leg uh, he later took to wearing whalebone shin guards to protect his walking sticks he was very adept at getting hit by pitches as well in 1911 he was hit by a pitch 25 times which that's like a june for uh thai france but, yeah that's true uh, setting an american league mark that was not broken until 1986 when don baylor was hit 35 times <laughs> Nice. I mean, I remember Don Baylor doing that, and that was a big but, deal. But Don I, Baylor got hit all the time. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, to think that he broke a record that had been there since 1911, though. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so according to uh, the Tabasco Kid's Saber bio, uh, he perfected the art of angling his body in toward the plate, 
holding his arms in in such a way to only take a glancing blow while simultaneously appearing to make an honest attempt to avoid the pitch, and then for effect, shouting and gesticulating at the pitcher. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, let's see. This is a great story here. During Ty Cobb's rookie season, Cobb slid head first into second base where uh, Albert Felt was covering the bag. Albert Felt dug his knee into the back of Cobb's neck and proceeded to grind Cobb's face in the dirt. Supposedly, this is the last time that Cobb would slide head first into a bag and instead adapted the infamous Spike's high and first strategy that the Georgia Peach would employ for the rest of his career. This is from a biography about Cobb, so I'm going to take it with a grain of salt because we all know uh, most of Ty Cobb's history as we know it is tainted um, with many untruths that have been yes. since proven to be, you know, untrue. So uh, it's a good story, though. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a, it's a good story from a guy that kind of sounds like he would do it. Albert Fell also did some managing and something, uh, or at least, you know, something resembling it while playing in Washington after leaving New York. Uh, this is a direct quote from one of the players he managed when he was a player manager there. The, the quote is, quote, we are playing under the direction of a crazy man. It's a joke. <laughs> End quote. Uh, So while he didn't have success managing in the big leagues, the ability to teach and mentor that he displayed with Casey Stengel served him after his big league career was over as he went on to manage in the minors where he helped develop many future big leaguers. Albert Fell also bought an apple orchard in Signal Mountain near Chattanooga. Uh, so this would be Tennessee, obviously, built his home and raised a family of five daughters and one son there, where his daughters formed a basketball team known as the Elbertfeld Girls, and they would tour around playing, you know, barnstorm, essentially, basketball games. They also competed as boxers, held state and national amateur championships in tennis, swimming, and diving. So, you know, a pretty wow. athletic family there. I love that he had four girls and made him a, ba- or five girls and made him a basketball team. That's so <laughs> awesome. If he'd have had, you know, a few more, we could have had a baseball team. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that is it uh, on the Yankee captaincy. I just wanted to get our Yankee quota in there so that we can keep our Yankee history podcast title alive. Uh, next week, I'm thinking about doing an episode on the Mariners team captains. And, uh, oh. All of them? How, when they've had players like Ken Griffey Jr. and Edgar Martinez, uh, they list Spike Owen as the only (laughs) team captain in Mariners history. The only guy named Spike in Mariners history, too. Uh, I bet, though, if they had a team captain, we could uh, get to the bottom of this ridiculous kerning issue on the back of their high school jerseys that they wear every night. Here we go again. (laughs) Don't get me started. All right, so that's it. Uh, Yankee team captains. Uh, there you go. Babe Ruth, I think, got the raw end of the deal there. I, I, <laughs> he had five days of glory. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm pretty disappointed in the in the Yankees. Uh, I I think they they snatched uh, snatched that away way too quick. All right, uh, so we're going to uh, Markle's head into the final segment of the show. It is the uh, segment that uh, you know we've been doing for well over two hundred. Well, I don't know if it's been over 200, but pretty close to 200 of these episodes. So uh, let's go ahead and strike up the band and get into Wax Pack's heroes. Wax Pack Hero! Gotta pull the Wax Pack Hero! Stars in his eyes! Wax Pack Hero! On the podcast tonight! All right, Mark. Uh, you know, last week was fun. We did some double A cards, which yeah. uh, in the past had not worked out for us very well. But I think it was a, a fun game last week. You came up with the win. You are still trailing by one. It's 11 to 10 if we look up there on the uh, hand-operated scoreboard uh, over there in uh, left field, uh, or what would be left field of our studios here. Uh, so you're you're catching up to me. Let's go ahead. Uh, let's do a couple of uh, other packs of minor leagues. Let's do 91 triple A cards and see if this proves as much fun as the double A did this week. Okay. Sounds fun. So if you're new here, this is what we're going to do. We're going to open up these packs. We are going to uh, take the best baseball reference war. Normally it's of the packs uh, of the year that we open it, but these are minor leagues. So we will go ahead and if they made the major leagues, we will take their highest war 
of their career, and we will add that to our total. But there's a couple other things that we do. If there's uh, anything on the player's face, uh, glasses of any sort, eye black, a nose ring, uh, Brady Anderson-esque sideburns, anything like that, a mustache. Uh, those are all extra tenth of a point. If it's a really good mustache, we could award a bonus extra tenth of a point as well. If they're wearing real stirrups where we can see sanitary socks, that's good. That's a tenth of a point. But if they're wearing the two-in-ones, minus a tenth of a point because uh, we don't like that. Any awards that they won in this best year in the majors, like Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, if they were an all-star or won a gold glove, that's a half a point of war each. If there is a Hall of Famer on the card, possibly, uh, you can get a whole extra point of war. The Ricky Henderson-Nolan Ryan clause does not apply to these, so we can skip that. Uh, any pop culture references we can find for the player, that is going to be an extra half a point each, unless they appeared in an episode of The Simpsons, Seinfeld, or Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Then you get a whole extra point of war for that. If they appeared in the Mitchell Report or were suspended for PED use or DV or anything like that, uh, that is obviously awful, and you are going to minus a half a point for that. Uh, we're also going to each pick a team from the big leagues, Mark, and if that best year in the big leagues happened on my team, regardless of pack, I'm going to get a uh, half a point for that. If your team, regardless of pack, shows up, you're going to get a half a point. So uh, who are you going to go with? I think I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Dodgers this week. All right. Well, if you're going to go with the Los Angeles Dodgers, I am going to go with the California Anaheim Angels of Anaheim. Nice. Mark, I got uh, I got two packs here. One on my left, one on my right. Which one would you like? Going left. Going left. All right. I'm going to have you go first. Let's see. Uh, let's see what we got here. All right, Mark. So here we go with your cards. We're going to start out with a member of the Toledo Mud Hens, the hat that... Uh, was it radar or or? Uh, oh man! Uh, no, it was uh, Klinger, Klinger, right? Klinger wore on on Mash all the time. Uh, here he is. He is an infielder. It's Carl Allerai. All air A L L A I R E. I don't feel like you're off to a strong start. I not positive, but uh, I don't think so either. Let's see. Yes. Uh, Carl never made it to the big leagues. He was drafted by the Astros out of the Community College of Rhode Island. Wow. Good for him. Uh, let's see. He played for nine different seasons in the minor leagues. Uh, how I it's, it's kind of weird how he never got a chance to play because he spent, let's see, five years in AAA and never got a cup of coffee. Wow. Uh, Man. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of time in the minor leagues, but. You know, trying to trying to make it. I I understand. Yep. Uh, nothing uh, nothing here that is going to get you uh, any points. And oh, you know what? He's got real stirrups on, so you got that going for you. you okay. Ten, I mean, really, it's something better than a poke in the eye. So yep. uh, no uh, no pop culture references. Um, <laughs> no. All right. Uh, let's see. Your next uh, card is uh, another Toledo Mudhead pitcher, John Keeley. K-I-E-L-Y. John Keeley looks like made the big leagues. Yeah, wow. It's, uh, three years in the big leagues, all with the Tigers, 91 through 93. I do not remember him, but that is definitely a sweet spot for me right around that time. Uh, let's see. Overall, four and five with a 4.17 ERA. Uh, strictly a middle reliever. No saves, no game started, no games finished. Nope. Uh, let's see. 24 strikeouts in 73 innings, 50 walks. Wow. Okay. Ouch. Know. That might have been what did him in. Uh, <laughs> a yeah. 1.6 whip for a middle reliever. Uh, let's see. His best. Wow. His best war season was in 1992 when he went four and two in 39 games at 2.13 ERA. Struck out 18, walked 28 in 55 innings, a war of 1.6. Wow. As a middle reliever. Uh, okay. I'll take that. Yeah, good for him. Uh, nothing on this card is going to help you out with anything. Um, and I don't see a whole lot of other information on him. But, uh, I mean, that's not too bad. All right, so that'll take you up to 1.7. Next, you've got a pitcher. Again, is this all Toledo Mudhens? Uh, Randy Nosek. Randy Nosek. N-O-S-E-K. Looks like he made it as well. Yeah, two years for Detroit in 89 and 90. 
Didn't uh, didn't isn't one of Kramer's uh, alter egos on Seinfeld no sick or something like that? <laughs> Dr. Van Nostrom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Randy, uh, like I said, two years, uh, appeared in five games total with a one in three ERA, a 10.22. I'm sorry, one in three uh, record, a 10.22 ERA. Uh, Let's see. I'm going to guess he had more walks than strikeouts. Yep. 19 to seven. Uh, It's a a trend here. And Mm -hmm. uh, looking at war. Well, his best war is a minus point three. His worst is a minus point four. Not a lot to choose from. No, but uh, hey, he's got real stirrups on. Well, you got that. Plus there, but uh, nothing else on this card is going to help you out. Wow, he was a first round draft pick in the 85 draft. All right, uh, you're at 1.5. Your next card for the Rochester Red Wings, Tommy Shields. Well, these guys have all played in the big leagues for the most part. Shields spent two years in the bigs, one with Baltimore, one with the Cubs. uh, Only appeared in 22 games total. Uh, This is in 92 and 93. Best war was, well, he didn't have a war in 92, so his only war is from 93, which was a minus 0.1. So you're going the wrong way. That comes from 20 games. He had six hits. He had a double and an RBI, two walks, 10 strikeouts. Okay. Sometimes it's better if the guy didn't make the big leagues. And unfortunately for you, there's nothing in this card that is going to help you out. They're really bad lighting. I mean, most of these are are taken uh, during day games. You can't see their face because their hats are shielding them. Uh, looks like he went on to uh, manage in the minor leagues as recently as uh, 2021. Sure, he's kicking around somewhere. Uh, next, oh, I've heard of this guy. I know this guy. Here he is uh, with the Columbus Clippers, who at this point were uh, the Yankees AAA club. It is pitcher Alan Mills. Yeah, Alan Mills. I know he pitched for a while. I, I remember him from the Orioles is where I remember Alan Mills from. Uh, let's see, 12 years in the big leagues, nine with the Orioles, two with the Dodgers, two with the Yankees. Overall, 39 and 32, 4.12 ERA. He struck out not a whole lot more than he walked, actually. He struck out 456 and walked 395. That is <laughs> wow. a ridiculous amount. Again, for a pretty much strictly middle reliever, never started a game, finished very few. Uh, but let's see what his best war was. Oh, you're going to like this. In 1992 with the Orioles, we're all 10 and 4 with a 2.61 ERA, a 2.6 war. Ooh, let's hear it for Allen. Yeah, plus he's, uh, plus he's got real stirrups on. I think they were forced in the minor leagues to wear real stirrups at this point. He was picked in the first round twice. First in 86 by the Red Sox, did not sign. Then the California Angels signed him. Uh, unfortunately, he did not uh, it was Baltimore that he pitched for, and uh, he signed there. He was uh, traded from California to the Yankees for Ron Romanek and Butch Weiniger. Butch Oil and Weiniger. Oh, that's a good one there. Yeah. Oh, good for him. When he retired, he returned to his alma mater high school and was a phys ed teacher and coach of its varsity baseball team. He also took that time to earn a BA in psychology from Ashford University. Wow, that's impressive. So you're at 4.1. Your next card is, I think this guy made it. This name, I know this name. I don't know how I know this name, but Greg Baggini, B-I-A-G-I-N-I. I think it's Biagini. Biagini? Yes. Wow, I was wrong. He had never, he did not make it to the big leagues. How do I know this name? We'll have to look it up here. But um, boy, a good bit of time in AAA. Also played in the Mexican League. Overall, in the minors, he spent eight seasons there, ended up hitting 260, 350 on base, 54 home runs, 294 RBI, 14 stolen bases, uh, but uh, no uh, no big league time for Biagini. Nope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him like uber Italian if I can't pronounce Biagini. it. Biagini. Yeah. Uh, looks like, unfortunately, he passed away in 2003. Yes. All right. Uh, you got three cards left here. You're at 4.1. Uh, here's a name that we know. Calgary Cannons uh, pitcher, Calvin Jones. Yeah, so Calvin Jones, Seattle Mariner. Mm-hmm. 1991 and 1992. Five and seven over his two years in the big leagues, 4.33 ERA. His best war, big difference here. His worst is minus 0.5. His best was in 1991, a 1.4. Not Positive. bad. Uh, let's see, that was his first year. He appeared in 27 games, 2-2, two and two, with a 2.53 ERA, 
46 innings pitched, 42 strikeouts, 29 walks. The next year, 49 strikeouts, 47 walks. I think we've pinpointed what would get you released. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you figured it out, man. Wow. I mean, uh, Calvin Jones was the first overall pick in the 1984 draft. Oh, wow. Picked number one by the Mariners. Uh, went on to play in a lot of foreign leagues as well. He played in the uh, CPBL, the Mexican League, the Atlantic League. Uh, he kind of played uh, played in a lot of spots. I don't blame him. Uh, looks like he also, unfortunately, passed away. Looks like just last year. Uh, we're getting old because uh, all these guys are... Yeah, the around. last two died in their 50s of cancer. That's very sad. All right, you're down to two cards next. Heard of this guy. Here he is, infielder for the Clippers, Jim Whalewander. Oh, sure. There we go. Hard name to forget. Wasn't there a Wanderwall? Jim Wander, Wander Whale? Wander? Von? I don't There's a lot of Wander Whalers that I'm thinking of. I can't. Uh, let's see. Jim Whalewander, overall four years in the big leagues. He spent two in Detroit, one with the Yankees, and then one with the Angels. Uh, looking at his war... He was in the positive for one of those seasons, his rookie season, 1987. He hit 241, 328 on base, one home run, four RBI, and a 93 OPS plus for a positive 0.1 war. Uh, okay, he's got well, some better than negative. Got some real stirrups on here too, like some big ones. He's got he's got the they're not mids his pants they're they're between mids and all the way up to his knee but he has got the full color stirrup going up but just a little horseshoe on the bottom so so here's what I remember about Jim Willwander is that okay I'm a big fan of of like 80s and 90s punk and uh, the Dead Milkman one of my favorite bands actually put a quote from him on one of their CDs really yes and it said something like the Dead Milkmen are the greatest band in the world something to that matter. And then it said, quoted by Jim Whalewander. <laughs> is it like a, like a, you know, when you get a book and on the jacket, it's got reviews or other authors uh, singing its praises? <laughs> like a blurb? Yeah. <laughs> and did he really say it? Yeah, well, I don't know. He's, uh, I remember hearing something that he was a big fan of that genre. So it's quite possible. Ah, well, here it says the punk rockers were guests in the dugout when Whalewander hit his only major league home run. <laughs> wow, that's, that's a nice. great story. They should have paid him to tour wherever they were playing. Apparently, a local Tigers fan who was nicknamed uh, Eastside Billy wrote a theme song for Whale Wanderer called the Jim Whale Wanderer Blues. <laughs> the song got radio play in Lakeland, Florida during spring training one year. Wow. And it looks like it was reviewed in, in a Detroit newspaper by Ernie Harwell. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, that's a good story there. That's the kind of stuff we like. That's a pop culture reference. Yeah, right. Oh, you're, you are absolutely right. That's a half a point for you right there. Thank you for, sure. for reminding me about that. All right. Uh, your last card here is, uh, well, he's got a mustache. I can say it about him. Uh, Julio Pagero. I guess I should tell you that uh, he plays for the uh, Scranton Wilkes Bar. Red Barons. Pagaro, one year in the big leagues, so he made it. Played in 14 games in 1992 with the Phillies. Nine at-bats, two hits, three walks, three strikeouts, an 87 OPS plus, and a war of exactly zero. <laughs> I kind of saw that coming. He does have a mustache here, though, so you will get that. Yay, something. Oh, well, let's see here. He was uh, traded by the Pirates with the player to be named later, along with former guest of the podcast, Wes Chamberlain. For Carmelo oh. Martinez. Really? My boy, Carmelo. Oh, he was also later traded uh, for Stan Javier. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, that's, so that's going to be it. So Mark, that is a score of 6.3. Now, we can laugh at that, but I mean, if you had that much trouble getting a 6.3, I'm going to say that my pack's probably <laughs> not going to be a whole lot better. Yours better not have some Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, <laughs> or player. I mean, we could have Hall of Fame players in these. It's possible, yeah. Very possible. Well, not very, but it's it's possible. All right, so uh, 6.3 is what I got to beat. Let's uh, open this pack. All right. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm very excited because the first card here in my pack, uh, he does have two and one, so that's not going to work. But this guy had a good career and had some big years. Here he is with the Oklahoma City 89ers, Dean Palmer. Ooh, 
So let's see, Dean Palmer, 14 years in the big leagues, eight with Texas, five with Detroit, and two with the Royals. He was an all-star once in 1998. Overall, he ended up with 275 home runs. Uh, Let's take a look at his war. For his career, 13.3. His best war season was 1996 with uh, the Rangers. Appeared in 154 games, hit 280, 348 on base, 38 home runs, 107 RBI, a 114 OPS plus, and a 2.8 war. Uh, Not bad. He does have the two and one, so that'll only be a 2.7, but I will take that. That's a good good start. 275 career home runs. Not something that's uh, that's not something that's so bad to, to brag about. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty good total. Uh, looks like he is uh, now coaching high school in uh, in Florida. That's good for him. All right, my next card is uh, also from the 89ers pitcher with uh, he's got a pretty good mustache. I don't think it's two tenths, but it's a good mustache. Uh, pitcher Steve Peters. Uh, let's see, Steve played in the big leagues for two years, 87 and 88, with the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, in in 88, he appeared in 44 games, had a 6.4 ERA, but uh, looking at the war, uh, he also had a minus 1.6 war in 1988. In 87, though, he had a positive 0.5. I think you should take the minus (laughs) 1.6. That goes against the rules. So uh, I'm going to take the positive. Andy's got a mustache, so uh, that'll be uh, a little bit more help there. Oh, he was traded by the Cardinals with Alex Cole. For Omar hmm. Olivares, Alex Cole. We did a, we did an episode on Alex one time. Nothing to talk much about Steve Peters. Uh, move on. Oh, this is a good one. Here with the Iowa Cubs, Derek May. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Derek May with the Cubs here. Uh, overall, he spent 10 years in the big leagues. Five with the Cubs, two with the Astros, and then one apiece with Montreal, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Milwaukee. If we look at his war totals in 1995, I uh, spent... Part of the year with Milwaukee, part of it with Houston. And uh, overall, he hit 282 with a 333 on base, nine home runs, 50 RBI, five stolen bases, a 104 OPS plus. And uh, that is good for a war of 1.4. He does have real stirrups on as well, so that'll be an extra tenth of a point. He is clean shaven here, which is disconcerting. Uh, First round draft pick in 86 by the Cubs. Currently the uh, hitting coordinator for the Landers in the KBO. Oh, interesting. Signed to play football and baseball at Virginia Tech. His father was Orioles uh, player, Orioles outfielder Dave May. And uh, his brother, a minor league, uh, or uh, sorry, a major league scout for the Blue Jays. And his son Donovan is a scout for the Red Sox. Nice. It's a good baseball family. His dad was once traded for Hank Aaron late in Hank's career. You got to be proud of that. I'm, I'm sorry. Every time I meet somebody, that's how I'm opening up the conversation. If I'm him, <laughs> I was once traded for Henry Aaron, my friend. All right. Uh, next, we've got another Cub, Iowa Cub, another name that we're familiar with. Doug. People are strange. Oh yeah, Mariners pinch hitter extraordinaire. Not Mariners team captain though. Nope, nope. Uh, Doug Strange, overall nine years in the big leagues. Texas, Chicago, the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Mariners for two years, Montreal, Pittsburgh, and Detroit. Looking at his war, ooh, I'm like in 1993 with the uh, with the Texas Rangers, 145 games, 256 average, 318 on base, a home run, 60 RBI, six stolen bases, an 86 OPS plus, but a 2.5 war. Wow. Good defense, I guess. Uh, he's Must also got, got real stirrups on there, so I'll add that in there and take that happily. Nothing else uh, much going on with Doug Strange to report. Uh, that will take my score up to 7.4. Nice. And I have five cards left. <laughs> but we have seen there there are some, uh, you know, kind of large minuses here on some of these guys. Uh, next, we are going to go to the Louisville Redbirds pitcher Tim Sherrill. Uh, so far, everybody in my packs made the majors. Tim Sherrill, two years in the big leagues, both with the Cardinals, 90 and 91. He appeared in 18 games overall. And uh, his career wars in his two seasons, minus 0.2 and minus 0.4. Hmm, which one are you going to take? <laughs> well, I think I'm going to go with the minus 0.2. Just like I said, I mean, there are some definite minuses in here. Let's see, overall in his career, no mark, 18 games, 7.71 ERA. Uh, struck out seven, walked six in his career. So 
So, I mean, at least he struck out one more than he walked. Yeah, I wonder if he's related to George Sherrill. Doesn't say it. The Brim Reaper. Uh, let's see. Next, we go to the Albuquerque Dukes, one of the greatest uniforms in minor league history. And uh, some good stirrups here on infielder Luis Martinez. Those uniforms with the bright red. Yep. Uh, the, when I used to wash those, they would the, the bright colors would run into the white pants. <laughs> so they were like pink. <laughs> Not a bright pink, but if you looked close, they were pink pants. I always thought that was funny. So this is a this is a first. There is no record of this Luis Martinez in Baseball Reference. I think you should get minus five for that. Well, let's see. He's got a mustache and real stirrups, so he did better than Cheryl did. I'm going to get it now. I do have to comment on this card. Uh, great uniforms. Yes, he's an infielder. This is a posed picture where uh, he's getting ready to field a ground ball with batting gloves on both hands. So, you know, he's wearing a batting glove under his under his fielding, uh, you know, glove, but he is also wearing it on his throwing hand. That's interesting. Is it even legal? (laughs) You know what? I bet it's not. But uh, (laughs) all right. I'm at seven point four. Next, we have got a picture for the Paw Sox, Derek Livernois, L-I-V-E-R-N-O-I-S. I'm not sure who that is. Well, he did not make it to the big leagues. I was just bragging that they all had. Now the last two have not. Uh, let's see. He uh, spent nine years in the minor leagues. Uh, just, yeah, he looks like uh, he had some good seasons in double A, but just couldn't replicate it in triple A. He was kind of a uh, two and a half A. Uh, overall, though, a 3.7 ERA. Uh, 758 strikeouts, 343 walks, and 906 innings. So that's not that's not too bad. Uh, just could not uh, could not make it. I was I was hoping was hoping to see a pronunciation for his last name, but and to quote uh, Monty Python, it's spelled that way, but it's pronounced Throat Warbler Mangrove. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I seem to be stuck in the mud here. I am uh, I am 1.1 ahead of you with two cards left, and. Uh, here we go, another paw sock. Here is an outfielder, Jeff Stone. Funny uh, enough, that is the uh, the name I used when I was a DJ in college. Jeff Stone? Jeff Stone. Nice. All right, uh, Jeff Stone did play in the big leagues for eight years, five with the Phillies, two with the Red Sox, and then one apiece for the Rangers and the Orioles. Let's see, overall, his best season war-wise was 1984 with the Phillies. In 51 games, he hit 362. 394 on base, a home run, 15 stolen bases, or I'm sorry, 15 RBI, 27 stolen bases, a 139 OPS plus, and came in seventh in the rookie of the year balloting. Hmm. All that is good for a 1.7 war, and he's got a mustache. Man, so that's killed here. 1.8. Yeah, I think that one will probably put you away. That gives me a pretty good lead with one card left. Uh, do I get points? He was traded for one of my favorite players. He was traded for, uh, he was traded with Rick Shue. At one point. Oh, really big shoe. Hey, um, yeah, I think you get um, like a, a sticker or something. Well, uh, give me half a point and we'll round down. No, no, no. You get a sticker or a water bottle. One of those oh, prizes. Oh, great. Can I get, I'll take the water bottle. Then I guess that's probably better uh, Better value. Let's turn around and sell that for more than I can a sticker. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm at 9.2. I've heard of this guy. Last one, a member of the Omaha Royals outfielder Harvey Pulliam. Sure. What do I remember him for? I thought there was something. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Well, six years in the big leagues. I remember him with Colorado more. He he spent three years with the Royals, three years with Colorado uh, from 91 through 97. Overall, his best year. Well, I've got several to pick from. Three years with a positive 0.1, two years with a 0.0, and then one year with a minus 0.2. So I'm going to go with the positive 0.1. And he's got a mustache, so that'll be another positive point one. Uh, let's see, that was, uh, I'm going to take the 95, no, I'm going to take the, because he only appeared in five games that year. I'm going to take the 91 version, where he appeared in 18 games. He hit 273, three home runs, four RBI. Uh, he had nine hits, three of them, wow, three of them were home runs, and one was a double. So that's <laughs> slugging a percentage of 576. <laughs> He was definitely getting a hold of it. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he can hit a fastball. I think. I think probably guys found that out pretty quick. 
Uh, let's see, coached a Little League team right here in my backyard in Contra Costa County in 2008. Nice. And uh, yeah, that'll be about it. So, Mark, that will take me to a 9.4, which uh, when I punch that into the old uh, math machine here, tells me that that is uh, better than a 6.3. Yeah, I believe it is. Well, I'll take it. That will move my score up to 12, give myself a little bit of a pad there again, which I need because I have never won one of these things. So uh, there you go. Uh, Thank you to all the players involved in today's game. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, That's going to wrap up this edition of Wax Packs Heroes. So it's going to do it for this episode of Two Strike Noise. If you want more of us, look in the show notes. Uh, Some great ones last week. Uh, I was giving away $100, but nobody nobody claimed it. Yeah. Uh, look in the show notes. You can uh, find all of our links there. Just Google Two Strike Noise. That's T-W-O Strike Noise. You'll find a bunch of stuff there. And uh, maybe even an email address? We do, yeah. It's uh, Two Strike Noise. Spell it out, Two Strike Noise at gmail.com. All right. So uh, thank you again, everybody, for writing in, for listening, and uh, for buying those billboards throughout the country. We really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 